Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the service this morning. It's good to see you all. Okay, has anyone ever had to dress up really partial, go anywhere really? Yes. Oh, a bridesmaid. Now, that's a posh occasion, isn't it? Did you dress in special dresses and everything? Wonderful, yes. <laughs> summer clothes. Oh, have you got some posh summer clothes? How exciting. We were actually discussing whether you needed to get dressed fancy for the wedding. What, like the bride? Whether the bride needs to get dressed fancy. Well, maybe you could get out of your jeans or something. I don't know. Yes. For a wedding, a t-shirt, a skirt, tights and some boots. Excellent. I think we've got a little bit sidetracked on weddings, which are very special occasions, yes? ambassador in Brasilia and and Ivan said boiled dog it's a phrase so if, if ever anyone's dressed nice you call them a boiled dog excellent boiled dog sorry You went to see the Queen. Have you met the Queen? Wow. And did you dress in your best frock? Did you go to the palace? Oh, wow. Anyone else been to Buckingham Palace and seen the Queen? You... Oh. Close. When you see someone really quite royal like that, or you go somewhere special like Buckingham Palace, you, you make the best of it, don't you? You dress your best, you make sure you're on your best behaviour, you want everything to be right. Do you know, in the Bible, it talks a lot about the holiness of God. You know, these days we come into church and we put on, I mean, you all look very smart, don't get me wrong, but we just put on our clothes and we pitch up and we come in and we're like, we're at church. But do you know, there's some passages in the Bible that talk about how amazingly holy God is. There's one in the book of Isaiah, and it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on his throne, high and exalted, and his robe filled the whole temple. Round him flaming creatures were standing, each which had six wings. Each creature covered its face with two wings and its body with two, and used the other two for flying. They were calling out to each other, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty is holy. His glory fills the world. 
The sound of their voices made the foundations of the temple shake and the temple itself was filled with smoke and I said, there is no hope for me. I am doomed because every word that passes my lips is sinful and I live among a people whose every word is sinful and yet with my own eyes I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I think sometimes we forget how holy God is and how people used to do their very best when they approached him because we know that also God comes to us and so we can turn up how we are but he is such a holy God and an amazing God. Let's stand together if you would. I know you like to pause before you stand but it'd be great if you're able to stand if you stand now. Brilliant. And I'm going to pray and then we'll sing our opening hymn as we think about how holy God is. Let's pray together. Our God is a holy God, a wonderful God and yet he loves to enter into relationship with us today and so we're going to gather to worship by reading the next thing that comes onto the screen. I'm going to read the bits in white and then when bits that I think are in bold and yellow appear you all respond together for those. This is the place and this is the time, here and now, God waits to break into our experience, to change our minds, to change our lives, to change our ways, to make us see the world and the whole of life in a new light, to fill us with hope, joy and certainty for the future. This is the place as are all places, this is the time, as are all times. Here and now, let us praise God. We're going to praise God through another very old hymn. Oi, oi, we are going to praise the Lord. So let's sing together. As we gather together and as we think about how holy God is and how wonderful he is we also think about our own lives and think about when we approach him how he exposes all the things in our lives that aren't as they should be and we're going to have a time where we come before God a time of prayer a time to bring our lives before him to think about how we've been living the things that we've been thinking and focusing on and to think about whether those are the things we should have been doing and to offer our lives again to God We're continuing this morning in our <clears throat> series through the book of John, John chapter 2, verses 13 to 25, and Esther's going to come and read our passage this morning. almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords 
and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those he sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Thank you. I don't know whether you need to shuffle, get comfortable. No. Okay. Just wondered. Um, You know, when I was younger, I used to think that London was the place to be. I grew up in Birmingham, so it wasn't like I wasn't in a city. But to me, London was, you know, the centre of everything. It seemed such an exciting place. I'd never been, but I thought that anyone that I ever saw on the news or any famous person lived in London because that was where you lived, isn't it, if you were famous? So I thought they all lived there. And at the time, I really liked Daley Thompson, you know, the decathlete, if you remember Daley Thompson. And um, he was sort of like my hero. And I thought, well, Daley Thompson must live in London because he's famous and everyone who's anyone lives in London because London's the place to be. And then when I was 13, my dad took me on a father-daughter day out and we went on the London liner, which was a double-decker coach, to London. I was so excited because I thought as soon as I got off the bottom of the M1, I was going to see famous people because that's where they lived. So every block of flats that we went past, I was looking, thinking, I'm going to see Daley Thompson. He's bound to live in that one, because that one looks really good. And we went round places. We went to Madame Tussauds, and we went to the biggest McDonald's in the world. That's what my dad told me, but I don't think it's true now. But it was quite big, and we visited lots of famous places. And everywhere we went, I was looking for Daley Thompson, because it was London, and Daley Thompson's going to live in London. Of course, I didn't see him. But, you know, I spent the whole day very excited because we were in the centre of what I thought was the centre of the world. London was the place to be. It was the hub of life. It was everything to me. And although this is clearly not true, I've realised this, having lived in London as well, it is a belief that many people, mainly Londoners, I have to say, still think is true that London is the centre of everything. The belief that anything, if anything is going to happen, it will happen in London 
all come out of London. That's what a lot of Londoners believe. And it's not that this is unusual, because most countries or regions or places have somewhere that they would say is the centre of activity. Somewhere that they would say everything comes out of in their country or in their area. And so it's no surprise that in the time of Jesus, the Jewish people had this belief too. The centre of their activity was the Jewish temple, the temple in Jerusalem. It was, by all accounts, a magnificent place. It was a special place. It was a place of worship. But it was also somewhere that was seen as the centre of everything, or if you like, the hub of Jewish life. Not only was it a place where they met with God, it was literally the centre of Judaism, the centre of worship, the centre of music, the centre of politics, the centre of society. Everything that happened in the Jewish world in the time of Jesus happened in or around or through the temple. That's what people believed. Every Jewish community had, of course, a synagogue where they gathered to worship God, but only Jerusalem had the temple. And this was the place that the Jews believed God had promised to live among his people. So you can imagine it was a place that you entered with awe, as we were talking about earlier. You know, it was a special place. And you only entered if you had an offering, a sacrifice to bring as well. But even though it was such a special place, interestingly, it was also a place that had been built and destroyed and built again. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the temple was in its 46th year of rebuilding. So it had taken quite a long time to rebuilding and it was still going on. So it wasn't a prefab construction, you know, or a 1970s square block. It was a momentous, immovable, domineering palace of a place, if you like. And in Jesus' day, it was beautiful. It had gates and courts and chambers and immense walls. And at its heart was the holy place that contained the holy of holies where God could be encountered. It truly was the heart, the hub, the centre of Jewish life. And because of this, it was a very busy place as well. It was not simply a once a week event that was then shut up till the next week. It was a place where people went each day to talk, to gain advice, to sit and chat with each other, to have fellowship. It was a place where problems were sorted and relationships mended. It was a place where the lawgivers and the spiritual guardians presided. And most important of all, it was a temple for everyone. Not just the Jews, for everyone. Or at least, that had been the intention. But when Jesus entered Jerusalem in this passage, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, so when people were getting ready to remember the faithfulness of God and gathering together, he found a different story. Because when Jesus entered Jerusalem and walked around the temple courts, instead of finding this magnificent place open to all, as it had been designed, free to enter, exhibiting the grace of God as it was designed to do, he found that in the outer courts, 
the courts of the Gentiles, the place where anyone was invited to approach, that there was a market square, a set of stalls, a place of bargaining. There were people selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. You see, when Jesus entered this magnificent hub of Judaism, the place designed to bring God to all people, he found it full of moneymakers and opportunists. Not that these things were wrong in themselves or even unusual. The market, and ones like it, had been situated near the Mount of Olives for years. They were there mainly so that travelling Jews could come and buy their sacrifices before they then went on to the temple or they could come and change normal money for temple money before they entered the magnificent place that had been built. It's not that these markets didn't happen, but the problem was that now these stalls had taken over the outer courts of the temple itself, making their home in the house of God filling the space that was designed for the Gentiles and the outcasts who so desperately needed him with bargaining and money-changing and stipulations and no doubt the odd crooked deal, which the lawgivers and the spiritual guardians presided over without a problem. This is what happened. And so seeing this, seeing this magnificent place, this hub of Jewish life, this place where God had promised to touch the earth, seeing this being used as a market, Jesus was upset. In fact, he was outraged. And in a show of force against these actions which were preventing ordinary people coming to God, Jesus scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. He said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And you know, when he did this, when people saw this, they were horrified. Not because Jesus had done it. No one challenges him on his motives in this passage. But because Jesus had come into the centre of their world, the place where everything happened, and he had literally turned it upside down. And so they say to him, well, who are you? By what authority can you come into our world and tell us that what we're doing is wrong? This is the temple of God. Who are you to challenge that? To which Jesus replies, destroy this temple. And I will raise it again in three days. Of course, no one knows what he's talking about. The temple has taken 46 years plus to build. No one's going to build it again in three days. That was impossible. But of course, Jesus isn't talking about the temple. He isn't talking about the bricks and mortar and the gates and the courts and the holy of holies. He's talking about a new move of God. Having seen how God's house has been turned into a place reserved for the respected and the privileged, full of market stalls and presided over by those who don't care that people are being excluded, Jesus is saying that the temple is no longer God's place of activity. It's no longer the hub of life because now God's activity is happening somewhere else somewhere far more accessible 
Now, Jesus is the place where people can come to meet God and experience his grace. Not the temple of bricks and mortar, but Jesus. And if he is destroyed, he says, in three days he will be raised to life again. And you know, for the Jews of that time, this clearing of the temple, this knocking over of tables and spilling of money, would have been absolutely shocking. Because This was where God had promised to be, in this place, in this temple, at the heart of his people. And now Jesus was saying, in effect, that God was moving house. For the Gentiles, of course, this is great news, because for them, God would no longer be a distant and inaccessible deity. The one who lived in a building with numerous gates and different courts and ornate rooms. And a holy of holies they were never allowed to enter. For the Gentiles, for us, if you like, this was great news because it meant God had come to live in the person of Jesus, who they could walk right up to and touch if they wanted. And later in the book of Acts, the news becomes even better because, of course, God moves house again, becoming even closer to us by sending his Holy Spirit to live within us so that we become his home on earth. The book of 1 Corinthians says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you received from God? You see, this pivotal moment in the temple at Jerusalem was not simply a time when Jesus lost his cool over a few market stalls in the house of God. It was the moment when God showed the centre of the Jewish world, the hub of life, that he was moving house. Because the house that they had built no longer had big enough doors for everyone. And you know, as we think about this story, as we reflect on what Jesus did, I believe it's easy for us to agree wholeheartedly with what Jesus did and why he did it. It's easy for us to say, reading this story and looking at it, yes, God should be accessible to everyone. How dare they put market stalls there? Yes, everyone should be able to come And meet with God. I don't think anyone here would disagree with that. But then, if we believe that, if we think everyone should have access to God, then we're faced with another question. Well, in that case, what is God's house like today? In that case, how accessible is God to everyone today? In that case, how wide do we fling the doors of the temple? in our society, to welcome others. Because if the book of Acts is to be believed, and we as the people of God are now his home on earth, then we are his temple. And so it's our responsibility, both together and as individuals, to make the good news of Jesus known. And not simply on a Sunday, of course, not on a church day or during church activities or when we get together, but also in the outer courts of our everyday lives as well. 
in the places where we interact with ordinary people, doing ordinary things. Which means, I guess, that instead of filling our lives with things things to consume that make us feel good, you know, maybe instead of speaking in ways that puff us up or acting in ways that ignore the needs of others or thinking in ways that protect ourselves and keep our lives well, Instead of filling our outer courts with market stalls, if you like, our lives need to be places that are open with the love of God at all times. Places where anyone can see us and see Jesus. Places where anyone can see us and meet with healing. Places where anyone can see us and find support and restoration. Or if you like... The outer courts of our lives need to be the hub of life, where God is living and moving and making things new. So that when we meet together in this old building once a week, instead of it being a time where we're desperately seeking something of God so we can live our lives, it's a time when we come to celebrate the life that God has been working in and through us during the week, where we have seen people come to us because they've seen God in us, where we can share what's been happening because the outer courts of our lives are filled with the love and the grace and the openness of God. Because today, you and I are the church. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So today it's our job, it's not my job or the church's job, in inverted commas, it's our job to open the doors of the temple as wide as possible, to free the outer courts of our lives from things that clutter and take from people and to fill them with things that give and offer Jesus to people. So that anybody, everybody, whoever we encounter, in the outer courts of our everyday lives, can see the love of God and realise that actually God is here for them. They are welcome. And no one is excluded from coming into God's family. So may we go from here filled with the love of God and in the strength of his Holy Spirit. And may we show to others all that Jesus has given to us. May God bless us and keep us and walk with us. Amen. Please be seated.